we're not into the whole rock star crap thing that a lot of bands seem to get tied up in. <clears throat> we're just people and playing a rock band and then go home and eat food. Hello and welcome to Too Much of Not Enough, a Silverchair podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Hedger, and in this episode, I'll be talking about Silverchair's second album, Freak Show. This is the first episode I'll be recording after this podcast is actually launched. By the time you're hearing this, the show is available on most major podcasting platforms. So I hope you've been enjoying the show so far, and I do plan to have the rest of these out in a timely manner, hopefully at the clip of one episode per fortnight. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends. Um, And if you aren't enjoying, just keep it to yourself. You can also write a review in Apple Podcasts because that helps with the rankings. So rate, review, subscribe. If you'd like to get in touch, you can always email me at silverchairpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at silverchairpodcast or Facebook at facebook.com slash silverchairpodcast. Okay, let's get started. In November 1996, Silverchair headlined an Australian music festival called Pushover. I was only 12, but I was allowed to go because my auntie, who worked at the Melbourne radio station Triple R, would be there to semi-chaperone me. And even though she made me leave before the end of Silverchair's set, from memory I got to see them debut Freak and Symmetry, which were brand new songs at the time. I remember thinking that the chorus of Freak was actually Body and Soul, I'm Afraid. I've called Freak Show the difficult second album because, in the context of the rest of Silverchair's career, it kind of is. It's the red-headed stepchild of the band's career because it wasn't as successful as Frog Stomp, so it's easy to ignore, and it's not as fully formed and mature as Neon Ballroom, so it's in this liminal space between the immature, early Silverchair and the next stage of what Silverchair would become. It is better than its reputation. Daniel once called it a dark high school band's skeleton in the closet, but you can understand where that dismissal comes from. Let's talk about how Freak Show came about. Silverchair had been touring both at home in Australia and internationally for the past year plus, an eternity for a band of 16-year-olds, and life had begun to seem like a travelling sideshow carnival, hence the title Freak Show. Freak Show's in the 40s. used to like travel around from city to city and everyone used to just look at them and think they were really weird and just perceive them as being different just because they look strange. And same with being in a band, you travel around and everyone just looks at you and thinks you're really strange, and we just thought it's a good theme for an album. The album cover is an artist's rendering of Grady Styles Jr., an actual sideshow performer nicknamed The Lobster Boy. 
The rest of the cover art also reflects this theme with illustrations of strong men, bearded ladies and pinheads adorning the CD booklet. This was also true for the artwork for the singles, Freak, Abuse Me, Cemetery, and The Door. Whether by design or not, the cover art of Grady Styles acts as more than just a metaphor for a touring band. Styles was born with ectrodactyly, a condition where the fingers and toes are fused so that they resemble claws. His life was a very dark one. He was an alcoholic, abusive man who murdered his daughter's fiancé the day before their wedding, and he was eventually murdered himself. So if Silverchair wanted to signal to their audience that they were growing up and exploring darker, heavier themes, this was one way to do it. Released as the first single two weeks before the album dropped, Freak gave listeners a taste of the changes that had occurred since Frogstomp. Based around a rhythmic drop D riff, later dropped down another half step when played live, Freak is a band saying, we're heavy, we're serious, we're going to open this track with the line, no more maybes, your baby's got rabies. In fact, this lyric was apparently one of the reasons that Silverchair's American record label Epic didn't want Freak to be the first single. Aside from it being too heavy for the modern rock radio formats of the time, the opening lyrics, Sony US, the parent company of Epic, argued, were too silly to be taken seriously by the music press. You can kind of see where they were coming from on that, but silly though it is, it's one hell of an opening line. Similarly, the line, if only I could be as cool as you, has never sounded as good to me as what I originally thought the line was, if only I could be as cruel as you. This is going to be a recurring theme in these episodes, but Daniel Johns might not be the world's most poetic lyricist, but he's almost always an interesting one. If you want a sense of what the band thought about its success, look no further than the video for Freak, directed by Jerry Casale from the eccentric new wave band Devo. In the clip, the band plays in a room surrounded by heaters, while doctors collect the sweat that drips off them to inject into wealthy people's skin, which de-ages them. Their youth is being commoditized and sold to old people to make them young again. I don't necessarily think the band came up with this treatment, but the idea must have appealed to them. There's a side story about that video too. The director hated the cut that got released because it removed a lot of the story elements and inserted a lot more shots of 17-year-old Daniel John's pretty face. Sewerchair manager John Watson, for his part, said the US record label and the band were all happy with this decision and that Jerry Casale was just angry that he didn't get his way. Whatever the truth is, you can see that despite the valiant efforts to shield Silverchair from the seedier sides of the music industry, Management knew which side its bread was butted on. Shots of Daniel's face, at the expense of shots of Chris and Ben's faces, were going to move units. The guy from Devo's weird art experiment was not. Freak Show is the album and Freak is the video where the tension between the industry's expectations for the band and the band's own desires started to show a fault line. No pun intended. Still, Jerry Casale ended up directing the video for Cemetery as well, so things mustn't have turned out all that bad in the end. Oh, by the way, stop sucking the blood right out of me. 
Freak Show is an angry album. Silverchair's manager John Watson has said that while Frog Stomp is an album about teen angst, Freak Show is about anger. As a preview of the sound of the album to come, the song Freak accomplishes its goal very well. Musically, Freak Show is a different beast to the more traditional rock sounds of Frog Stomp. After all, the band's musical palette was expanding. Traveling the world, touring, as well as just growing up, had broadened their sonic horizons past their dad's record collections. On the first album, there's a lot of comparisons to Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Nirvana and whoever else is from Seattle. Um, it just started getting really annoying after a while. We always kind of liked that music, but we're never like huge fans. And we were really always into, since we were about 12 years old, we were into Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and stuff like that. And just seeing that Soundgarden and Nirvana and bands like that must have listened to the same kind of stuff as us. And people just, because we were so young, people just didn't realise that we must have listened to Black Sabbath and Zeppelin as well. So they just said, oh, you must listen to Soundgarden. We were like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> For example, Daniel has said that Lie to Me was a conscious attempt to write something like hardcore band Minor Threat, or even the Aussie punks The Meanies. Elsewhere, you can hear the influence of Helmet and Tool in many of the riffs. Compared to Frog Stomp, Freak Show was a big leap, broadening Silverchair's sound by quite a bit. On Frog Stomp, you had 9 or 10 hard rock songs with a couple of power ballads. On Freak Show, you have more variety, from very, very heavy rock songs, No Association, Slave, to genuine acoustic ballads, Cemetery, to more experimental ballads, Abuse Me, Petrol and Chlorine, and Punk, Lie to Me. As well, within each of these songs, there's more experimentation, from new instruments to new effects, such as the George Harrison-y backwards guitar sounds on Abuse Me and No Association. Also, Freak Show is the first time Silverchair put live strings on songs. Cemetery, Petrol and Chlorine, and Pop Song for Us Rejects all feature a string quartet, while Petrol and Chlorine features Indian instrumentation, including a sitar, tambla, and tempura. Not all of these experiments work, but the fact that they were branching out is a huge step towards what would happen on the next few albums. And as long as the record label was able to release Heavy Rockers as the singles, sure guys, go ahead with your weird little experiments on the deep cuts. So let's talk about how it all came about. Freak Show was recorded between May and July 1996, again at Festival Studios in Sydney, where Frog Stomp had been recorded. But this time there was a new producer at the desk. Frog Stomp producer Kevin Caveman Shirley had been approached to produce, but depending on who you believe, was either too busy working with American 80s band Journey, or Silverchair manager John Watson scheduled the studio time when he knew Shirley wasn't available on purpose. For his part, Watson says that the album had to be recorded at the time it was because of the school holidays, which was part of the commitment he had made to the band's parents. Enter Nick Launay, an expat English producer who had produced albums for bands such as The Birthday Party, Midnight Oil, Killing Joke, In Excess, Kate Bush and Public Image Limited. He had also, as it happens, done an edit on that original six-minute demo of Tomorrow, 
because a Nomad producer had sent it to him to get his opinion back in 1994. So he had a history with Silverchair and, as we'll see, a big future too. Um, he'd done a radio edit for Tomorrow the first time we actually released it. So we knew him from there and he was just... He had a lot of really good ideas and we wanted to experiment a lot more on the second album and he was like a mad scientist, so we thought, you know, he'd have some ideas. Lorne ingratiated himself into the band's lives very well. He spent a lot of time on pre-production and rehearsal with the boys, even picking them up from school to drive them to practice. There's even one story about him egging the local shopping centre with the band. The Brit relished the energy of the band, who was 17 and bouncing around the studio raring to go. This is far from Caveman's experience of having to corral the boys in the band to record Frog Stomp before they got bored and wanted to play Seeger instead. Lorne found a more honed band with international gig experience who would routinely show up to the studio early and ready to make music. Lorne likes recording bands live in the same room together to get a really energetic, connected feeling, which he did on Freak Show. And Silverchair sounds like a real band on this album, firing on all cylinders. Apparently only two songs on this album were done to a click track, which is significant even for the 90s. Lorne used a lot of room sound as well to get the band sounding as big as possible, especially for a three-piece. The fact that Ben Gillies hits his drums like he's hammering an anvil didn't hurt either. Lorne has said that Freak Show was where the band first started to realise what was possible in the studio. You can hear that in the string section and Indian instrumentation in some of the tracks. He would also become a good guide moving forward to broaden Silverchair's sonic horizons. What he was able to get them to sound like on Freak Show must have influenced the decision to get him back to produce Neon Ballroom. Jeff Apter's A New Tomorrow quotes Daniel as saying, We wanted to make the songs more extreme and different, so we made the fast songs harder and the slow songs softer. We also experimented with different styles and instruments. Despite all this new experimentation, some of the heavy rock songs on Freak Show can become a little bland, almost like the band was compensating for the songs that weren't in the then Silverchair mould. Still, Freak Show is where the band was first testing the boundaries of where Silverchair's music could go, and with all experimentation, some things pay off and some things don't. By this point, Daniel was playing these amazing Paul Reed Smith guitars, and in a lot of the videos and live footage from this era, you'll see him with the green PRS Custom 22 in particular. The story goes that Daniel got into PRS guitars because Paige Hamilton of Helmet played them. That guitar looms large in my conception of the band, especially in this era. It's a really beautiful guitar. In the liner notes, it says that Daniel plays PRS guitars through Soldano amps, though there is apparently a Gibson SG on the album. Slave was one of the songs recorded with Daniel's new PRS guitar. It, helped by the rest of his rig, had a great tone recorded faithfully by Nick Lornay. Daniel's guitar tone on this album is pretty underrated. You still hear rock and metal bands today with a similar tone. I've always really liked this opening track, a series of heavy drop D riffs and despairing melodies. The main riff has a really cool use of natural harmonics, making the song really fun to play along with. I also have always loved that Daniel throws in that tritone in the intro. In fact, I love it so much that it's the first track in the intro to this podcast. 
That weird dissonant sound in the second stab of chords is a tritone, also known as the devil's interval, a very common interval in heavy metal. It makes things sound dark and evil. In Slave, the chord, though played in drop D, is an F sharp with a high C in there to create that unsettling feeling. During the verses, Slave has a rhythmic guitar pattern that, in the first verse, is just the one chord, matching the rhythm of Daniel's verse vocal melody, but not the notes of the melody. By the second verse, more chords are added to that rhythmic pattern, changing up what could become a monotonous verse guitar riff. Again, the melody carried only by Daniel's voice. It's similar to Freak in that way. Remember what I said last episode about the band finding small musical ways to change up the sound of a song? Now, this isn't all that groundbreaking, but it shows that the songwriting was getting more sophisticated, which is interesting because it was apparently one of the oldest songs on Freak Show, written not long after the Frog Stomp days. Silverchair were quick learners. Slave is one of the songs that seems like it was meant to show to the band's detractors that they were heavier and maybe by implication more substantial than they were being given credit for. Overall, Freak Show does have a heavier sound, production and songwriting style than Frog Stomp. The influence of bands like Tool and Helmet is prominent, especially on a song like Slave. Slave was actually um, the first song that we wrote after Frog Stomp like a really hard backbeat, like a you know kind of helmet to a really heavy backbeat and melodic as well. In fact, many of the songs on Freak Show feature drop D rhythmic patterns. Again, something Daniel probably picked up from Helmet's Paige Hamilton. Frog Stomp basically has none of these kinds of riffs, even though many of the songs were in drop D tuning. So even though Silverchair's music was still heavy rock, the parameters had changed. The lyrics to Slave are pretty cringeworthy, but they show the direction of both this album and the immediate future of Silverchair's music. Dark. The lyrics for Freak Show were largely written after Silverchair had come back from their second American tour in December 1995. Around this time, they would tour for a couple of months with a tutor alongside them, then go back to school for a bit, then tour again during the school holidays. Daniel has said that that experience, being on the road and seeing so many weird things, affected how he saw himself and the world. Apparently some of the lyrics were changed because he thought they were too personal. I do wonder whether, despite Daniel's reputation on later albums as something of a confessional songwriter, he continued to change or disguise personal lyrics later as well, coding them in whimsy or just plain strangeness. This is, I believe, one of the major reasons Silverchair probably didn't get as much respect from music critics, especially internationally. Music critics are often unable to talk about music in any real way, so they default to talking about lyrics and the social aspects of an album, how it sits culturally. I mean, I get it. I struggle with it myself during these episodes. But it does mean that if a critic doesn't hear a lyric to latch onto that explains an album, or if a band isn't part of a particular scene or genre, it's very easy to write your review on autopilot and make it all about three teenagers who made a hard rock record. Let's hope that statement doesn't come back to bite me. (laughs) If some of the lyrics and themes on Freak Show seem a bit overwrought, it's because they were 17-year-olds in a crazy situation. The album is called Freak Show, after all. By way of comparison, 
I'm about to reference Michael Jackson. So if that brings up any issues for you, please skip ahead 30 seconds. I like to think of it like this. There's a Michael Jackson song called Stranger in Moscow. And one of the lines is, KGB was watching me. Sounds pretty paranoid until you think, oh wait, no, the KGB were totally watching Michael Jackson when he was in the Soviet Union. That's kind of how I feel about this album. You do not know what these guys were going through. So any knee-jerk, oh, just get over yourself reaction comes from ignorance. All that said, the lyrics on Freak Show are, at times, pretty bad. I mean, Daniel was 16 or 17 when he wrote these, and it shows. He hadn't really developed a metaphor yet, and is either straight telling you what a song is about, or being obtuse in a really teenage way. His rhyme schemes are also fairly basic. On Freak Show, Daniel was trying to get ideas across, but hadn't yet developed all the tools. His musical sensibility was changing, and he was becoming a better songwriter, but his lyrics just needed some work. However, this is the album where he started writing some songs, lyrics first. Despite my reservations about some of the lyrics, the ideas behind these songs were definitely darker. Abuse Me is an underrated song in their catalogue, with a phasing guitar figure made up of some really cool chords. Chris Joannu has some really tasteful bass on this song as well, which is nice to hear from the sometimes forgotten member of the band. Abuse Me is really influenced by the Beatles and really just 60s kind of experimental, like Sgt Pepper's album, stuff like that. Lyrically, it's just... Like, kind of about just getting negative comments and just saying, I don't really give a fuck what you think. Daniel has said that Abuse Me is about being perceived as one thing and having negative comments thrown at you. He said he liked Abuse Me because it's a mellow song, yet the lyrics are so aggressive. The chorus is meant to be sarcastic. Come on, abuse me then. Bridges' lyric, throw the sailors overboard, is saying, don't listen to the negative comments, throw them away. I've never really loved the song Cemetery because despite the stylistic change and obvious musical development, the lyrics were probably worse than anything on Frog Stomp. Need a change, not to imitate, but to irritate, all the ones who hate, I may be late, always seem to get the wrong date, I guess it's fate. That's five eight sounds in a row. That's an A-A-A-A-A rhyming scheme. And uh, look, it's not great. I also always feel that if you have a fast song, you can get away with the obvious rhymes because you'll be ahead of your audience. But in a slow song, it's death. Musically though, Cemetery is a step in a new direction for the band. Cemetery was originally written just, I just wrote it with an acoustic guitar and didn't really picture it as a song that we could do as a band. I just thought, it's not really the kind of song for us. 
So I just, we, I held it back until about three days before we ended up making the record. And um, I'm kind of glad that we put it on. Cemetery was originally written as a solo acoustic piece and largely sounds that way on the record despite the built-up arrangement. The story goes that Daniel was initially hesitant to show it to the band because it was so soft and he couldn't figure out how it would incorporate percussion. He had given manager John Watson a cassette tape of demos to listen to for the new album, but instructed him to only listen to one side. Cemetery was on the other side. Watson contacted Nick Launay, telling him that Daniel had written this great acoustic ballad, but you can't let him know that I know. Eventually, Launay and or Ben and Chris coaxed Daniel to show them the song, and they all liked it. Daniel was later happy that it brought the album some extra depth, and it became the third single from Freak Show. Something that doesn't get thought about much is how open Chris and Ben were to Daniel bringing them these different ideas. At that formative age, it would have been very easy for one of the rhythm section to say, I don't like that song, that sounds soft, that sounds shit, let's not do it. And for Daniel at that age to go, yeah, okay, let's just do some heavy stuff. So while it is absolutely true that Daniel drove the band's direction from a meat and potatoes rock band to something more arty and experimental, credit must go to Chris and Ben, who never discouraged Daniel going off in these weird directions, at least not publicly. And without their positive response to, say, Cemetery, Daniel might never have been confident enough to bring them emotion sickness, which for me represents a huge turning point for the band. But more on that in a future episode. Well, Learn to Hate, Ben actually wrote all the music for, and when he gave me like the music and said, write lyrics to this, I already had lyrics that I'd written that fitted in perfectly, so it was just, that's one of the ones that I already had lyrics for. It's just about, like, hate and stuff and how how people hate other people for silly reasons. It's easy to forget or rewrite the history of the band because of how it later operated, but Silverchair originally did have more than one songwriter. Ben is credited on many of the songs on the first two albums, and contemporary interviews at the time see him talking about the songwriting process quite a bit. Case in point, Learn to Hate. Learn to Hate was another favourite of mine when I was 13, especially the verse melody. It's interesting to hear Daniel say that Ben wrote, quote, all the music. I always wonder when bands talk about who wrote what, whether they just default don't think of the vocal melody as being part of the music, or whether in this case, Ben actually wrote the verse melody. Because the melody for Learn to Hate in particular does this really cool thing where Daniel sings, so my relationship could be the same as yours. Be the same as yours. It adds a chromatic note to the melody. That is a note outside the scale that it's in, which is quite a clever move. 
and something that's more likely to come from a singer than a drummer. Then again, that chord that Daniel is singing against does have that note in it. In fact, it's the tonic of that chord. The riff goes to that G sharp chord and Daniel sings the G sharp or A flat against it. So maybe Ben's chord progression led Daniel to sing that note, but maybe I'm reading into it too much again. It's strange that in popular music, vocal melodies are so important. And yet for a lot of bands, they sort of come last in the process. In any case, whatever the exact split, Ben's contribution can't be understated on this album. The lyrics of Learn to Hate range from the semi-witty hating you should be introduced as a new law to the juvenile take the time to learn to hate, come and join the mass debate. While they were still teenagers. Roses is another song that Ben had a big hand in. Roses was written in rehearsal. Yeah, Daniel came in and he had um, this tune that he had and I had one. And um, basically we just joined them together and they sounded cool and and then um, we came up with the, well, I came up with the, the drum thing at the start and that seemed to work, so it was cool. Roses is a heavy rocker with another stop-start rhythmic riff, probably again inspired by Helmet. The vocal melody seems a little underwritten though and the lyrics are dull rather than bad per se. The same is true of No Association, though what it lacks in musical variety it makes up for in dynamics, featuring some really interesting production and Daniel experimenting with his voice. The song also has no real chorus, just that bridge into the riff that acts as the chorus. So it's a neat little structural trick. No association. We went in thinking, yeah, this song will be all right. But after, when we actually recorded it and listened to it back, we were just like, that, that's a joke. We can't believe how that's turned out. I think it's one of the heaviest songs on the album. That's what I like about it. Daniel has said that on Freak Show, he was a little afraid of making things too soft or melodic because he didn't want to be perceived as wimpy as he was already a slightly effeminate figure in the music world and, this being the 90s, didn't want people to think he was gay. This ties into his being bullied at school when the band would return there between tours. This has its repercussions on the next album, but it handicaps a few Freak Show songs. It's for the best that this tendency to lean towards heavy rather than hooky abated on future releases. In fact, I didn't find the interview clip until after I'd just written the above, but Daniel addressed this exact thing during an interview for Neon Ballroom. The Door was the fourth single released from Freak Show, and I remember at the time not really being sure why that song was chosen, But listening back now, it's easy to see that the riff is super catchy. Daniel has said that The Door was influenced by Zeppelin and 70s rock in general, though I still think the vocal hooks are not as strong as some of the other songs on Freak Show. And to this day, I have no idea what the song's about. That's what I mean about the songs either being really obvious or really obtuse. Could have been like before, could have had to lock the door, make your mind, let the door swing. Okay, mate. 
It's possibly no surprise that The Doors' working title was The Poxy Song. Yeah, it's influenced a lot by Zeppelin and anything from that era, really. Before the album, when I actually wrote it and showed Ben and Chris, Ben and Chris liked it and they were like, they wanted to like continue working on it and write a bit more and I didn't really like the song. And they were like, oh, come on, we'll just, we'll just use it. And so I said, yeah, all right, just to see how it would turn out. And it ended up changing a little bit. Um, now I'm really happy with it, and we're all, it was actually called the Poxy Song for a while. That's what we named it, just because we didn't really like it that much. Oh, I didn't. So then, then we just called it the Door, because that was the main lyric, I guess. A side note: the single of the Door came with a B-side that was a remix of Freak, done by the electronic music artist Paul Mack. This version, called Freak Remix for Us Rejects, became a standard set ender for the band during this tour where the boys could let loose on stage and turn their show into a rave for 4 minutes and 13 seconds. I bring this up because if you know your Silverchair history, you'll recognise that Paul Mack was to become a big part of their story going forward. But more on that in future episodes. As loath as I am to keep bringing up their age, you do have to cut them some slack, especially with some of the lyrics. A lot of people never have their high school poetry see the light of day, but Daniel Johns did. Some of the riffs as well feel a little underwritten, or get a few many repetitions, almost as if they're a bit proud of how a certain riff sounds, and they really want to milk it, whereas a more experienced band might say, okay, that's enough. starts out promisingly enough with a pseudo cowboy feel but it has a lackluster verse melody i think the song really kicks in with the wo's and outro but as is feels a little underwritten nobody came turned out really good it's kind of like it's the long song of the album, the long stretched out song. Yeah, we actually didn't have any songs with the big ending with the, you know, double kick just going off and everything just loud as possible. So that was that was the song nobody came. It was the it was the loud one. I feel a similar way about the closing. I guess I just have always hated that the last song on the album is called The Closing. Welcome to the closing. Now for love, what for? It's easier to be taken. But ben again wrote, quote-unquote, all the music for the closing. I think the closing's a good track because, um, yeah, it's called The Closing. 
So it's good. <laughs> it's good for a closer. But um, I like it. I, I think that's a good song live too because it's really easy to mosh to. And that's um, that's our whole potential when we play live. I actually wrote all the music for that by myself, and um, I came into practice and showed Daniel, and we just um, jammed, and then he just started singing some. I don't know, some stupid words to it, like he always does. And then, um, yeah, it just moulded together like they do. To some extent, Freak Show is the album where Silverchair still hadn't learnt to kill its darlings yet. As extravagant as their follow-up albums got, Freak Show is the album where they were throwing a lot of stuff at the wall to see what would stick, which is what happens on a lot of second albums. It's why we have the phrase sophomore slump, even though we don't actually use the term sophomore in Australia. But there's enough other more interesting stuff on Freak Show to keep it from going down like a lead balloon or a lead zeppelin. Because other songs in this album show strokes of brilliance, and the band eventually saw this too. They added, for example, petrol and chlorine to their Live From Faraway Stables set after they originally had felt that they couldn't perform it live without all the Indian instrumentation. Beatles were apparently an influence on the Indian instrumentation in Petrol and Chlorine, particularly the Sgt. Pepper's track, Within You Without You. Though there's also a story that Daniel wanted the song to have a feel like the soundtracks in those SBS documentaries, and uh, Nick Lorne sourced the players through the Indian consulate. Petrol and Chlorine has always been my favourite freak show song, a standout track on this album. It shows the direction the band would go in, as well as expands the scope of what a Silverchair song could sound like. And something I love about the vocal performance on Petrol and Chlorine is that even though elsewhere on the album Daniel has a bit of an American rock tinge to his voice, check out the rhotic R sounds in some of the songs, on Petrol and Chlorine he says Gunu instead of Gonna in the lyric is never Gunu end or mend. These lyrics as well are far less embarrassing than some of the songs that surround it. Another song presumably about suicide, it isn't as obvious as something like Slave. Had the perfect job called Life, you didn't like it, you resigned. Isn't great poetry, it's teenage poetry, but it is a more metaphorical approach to lyrics that would serve Daniel well on the next album. However, I do have a confession, I'm not entirely sure what petrol and chlorine actually refers to. Did the suicidal character in the story blow himself up with a petrol bomb? Did he snort them? Did he drink them? Googling petrol and chlorine only brings up this song. So it's been lost to time.
Daniel, I don't just know what you mean. Lie to Me, originally titled Punk Song 1, is a song directly influenced by Daniel getting into Washington hardcore band Minor Threat and just deciding to write a punk song. It's an interesting detour for the band and a look at the road not taken, though they did cover a lot of punk songs as B-sides moving forward. But the theme of Freak Show is throwing all these new musical interests together and seeing what works, deepening the Silverchair sound and, in retrospect, the album sounds almost like they're warming up the audience for what's to come. Daniel's really influenced by Minor Threat and um, most of their songs go for like, you know, a minute, two minutes. And um, we came into practice one day and we said, um, let's write a song and we were all like, yeah, okay. And then Chunzi goes, oh, I got this riff and he just showed, us t- showed it to us. And then we all just started playing and just stopped and said, that's a song, that's cool. And that was it. I'd say it must be the quickest we've ever written a song. Pop song for us rejects touches on addiction from the perspective of someone affected by a friend's alcohol or drug abuse. It's a fairly judgmental song, so it is possibly based on a real relationship. It also contains the bonkers line, your life's an open cold sore, gotta get out the cream. is so bad I love it. Musically there's a fair bit going on. This is another Road Not Taken song in that it's a new sound for the band that they never really developed fully. But that said, it's not all that dissimilar from what you might have heard on Neon Ballroom, maybe just an immature version. So I want to talk about Freak some more. The song stayed in Silverchair's setlist for as long as they were a going concern. And for almost as long as they'd been playing it, Daniel had been messing around in the second verse with his voice, doing a faux death metal voice or a freaky falsetto. There are live shows from 97 where he does this, so I'm not sure if he was trying to do something with the theme of body and soul, I'm a freak, or if he was already making fun of his own song. As we heard in the last episode, when we heard Daniel telling the interviewer that he didn't like the song Cicada, Daniel got over Silverchair songs pretty quickly, so it must be hard when the song you hate playing is one of your biggest hits. For years I felt that he must have resented having to play that song, a big hit, and so when he played it, he would make fun of it during the performance. Whether or not that was the intention, that's how it came off to me. And I've always been very uncomfortable about how Daniel in particular treated the older material in a live setting. I'm of the opinion that I'd rather the band play what they want and not feel obliged to play anything they didn't want to. Okay, rant over. Actually, let me rant just a little more. I want to lay to rest the whole silver chair being a grunge band thing. Whatever people think of Freak Show now, you have to understand the context of this album coming two years after Frog Stomp, one of the most hyped and successful debuts by an Australian band in a decade. 
The musical evolution shown on Freak Show was impressive enough, but so is the maybe purposeful, maybe not shift away from anything resembling grunge. My opinion, as you probably know, is that they were absolutely telling the truth when they said they were more influenced by bands that influenced the grunge scene rather than those bands themselves. However, they did grow up as teens in the grunge era, so some of that was going to seep in. I heard a podcast recently that covered Frog Stomp from an American perspective, and they were hearing Pearl Jam and Nirvana everywhere, and I have to admit, I just cannot hear that. I defy anyone to point to a riff or a melody on Frog Stomp that actually sounds like one of those bands. They didn't even use drop D tuning very much in those bands. The American perspective on Silverchair has always kind of bothered me because they don't have the context of the late 80s, early 90s Australian alternative rock scene. UMI, Spiderbait, The Meanies, Magic Dirt, none of those bands made it to America. So in America, they had to put Silverchair's music into a context that they understood and somewhat lazily went, oh, this sounds like something we have over here. It must be grunge. I think it's a convenient way to dismiss the band as a relic of that scene. And by the way, uh, if you ever see me at a party, remind me to talk to you about how grunge wasn't really a scene and I'll bore you for hours rather than do any actual research. I don't think I've made any secret of the fact that one of the purposes for doing this podcast was to ever so slightly rehabilitate Silverchair's reputation internationally and maybe get people to think outside of Frog Stomp. So I think whatever you might think about their being influenced by grunge, the one thing they might have taken was the conciseness of the songwriting. Sabbath and Zeppelin had way fluffier melodies and structures than Silverchair did in this era. From the beginning, Daniel Johns wrote very strong, concise melodies that people underestimate when it comes to heavy rock. The interplay between a melody that sits in harmony with a heavy riff without just doubling it is actually a really difficult and sophisticated technique. And on Freak Show, all of that technique and experimentation takes a big step forward, setting the stage for what became the most acclaimed era of their career. Okay, rant's over for real. Freak Show was mixed in New York at Soundtrack Studio by Andy Wallace, a big name at this time, who had already worked with Helmet, Sepultura, Rage Against the Machine, and Smashing Pumpkins. We got Andy Wallace to mix the album because we were really impressed with the sounds of some of the bands that he's done, like Rage Against the Machine and Helmet, stuff like that. The music is good. You know, the, what I had heard, I was a fan of the band anyway. Then I heard the, uh, the early uh, roughs from this record, Liked them quite a bit. Thought they were really strong songs, and uh, Daniel's got a killer voice. Good, solid band. Nick Launay was apparently ambivalent about getting in an outside person to mix the album. This was the first time he hadn't mixed an album that he'd produced. And, uh, spoiler alert, this will happen again when it comes to Silverchair and Nick Launay. But Freak Show, the finished product, sounds great. Nobody can deny it. For his part, Nick Launay has said that he agreed to produce the album full knowing that Andy Wallace was going to mix it. He's also said that he learnt a lot from Andy Wallace's mixing. Released February 3, 1997, Freak Show hit number one on the ARIA chart and the first three singles were all in the top 10. It went double platinum in Australia and gold in the US, where it peaked at number 12 on the Billboard 200 before quickly slipping. 
Around this time, Silverchair manager John Watson said he wouldn't mind if Freak Show sold half of what Frogstomp did if the band could actually get some critical respect. In the end, that's essentially what happened. Freak Show sold basically half of its predecessor and got slightly better reviews, at least in Australia. Freak was the lead single from Freak Show, as I've mentioned. It hit number one in Australia, the last actual number one single the band would have until Straight Lines a full decade later. It fared less well internationally, reaching a height of 12 on the US Billboard mainstream rock chart before slipping fast. It reached the number two spot on Canada's Billboard chart. As I've mentioned, Silverchair's American label, Epic, owned by Sony, refused to release Freak as the lead single, thinking it was too heavy and out there to conform to rock radio. Instead, they insisted on releasing Abuse Me as the first US single, despite the protests of Silverchair's management. Abuse Me peaked at number four on the Billboard Modern Rock and Billboard Mainstream Rock charts, which actually makes it their second biggest hit in the States after Tomorrow. In Australia, Abuse Me was the second single from Freak Show and only reached number nine on the ARIA chart. John Watson believes it's this decision to change the lead single in the States that killed the band's momentum there. In his mind, Abuse Me confused the existing American fans of the band, who would have been expecting a heavy rock song, and while Abuse Me did get more mainstream rock play than Freak would have, that play did not translate into long-term fans. By contrast, Freak, Watson argued, would have reached Silverchair's hardcore fan base and drummed up a groundswell of anticipation for the new album. As it happened, that never materialised. In Australia, Cemetery reached number five on the ARIA chart, while The Door hit 25. I think Freak's going to be the first single off the album. Just, I don't know, just just to lead people into the album, we don't want to release something mellow first because we want to get like, the idea across that we've got We've developed and got a bit heavier. Bit The music's got a bit harder-edged. Critically, Freak Show wasn't as well-received as Frog Stomp was overseas. The UK hated it. The US seemed confused by it. But as expected, Freak Show was a big hit at home, though you could tell critics weren't as impressed as the band probably wanted them to be. The Chicago Tribune's Greg Cott, after saying the band was still beholden to their influences, admitted... The pummeling guitar rock is done with an undeniable sense of finesse and dynamics, and the threesome again exhibit a knack for the ear-catching hook that sets them apart from many of their influences. Closer to home, Melbourne Street Press The Buzz said, These guys still have honest exuberance to spare, which still helps blur some of their lesser qualities, and a genuine talent for penning memorable rock songs. However, things weren't all bad internationally. Outside of North America, Silverchair's sales were booming in places like France, Holland, Germany, and especially South America, apparently due to bootlegs of Frogstomp making the underground rounds. Silverchair toured on the back of Freak Show throughout 1997, doing shows in Germany, Sweden, the Netherlands, and North America, even as they were completing their final year of high school. When they graduated in November, the band threw themselves into a full Australian tour called the Summer Freak Show for the first time touring regional centres such as Dubbo and Ballarat, as well as the capital cities. This local tour was the first time they were gigging without tutors or parents around. It must have been a relief not to have to go back to school, both practically and for their image. At least the music critics couldn't give them shit for being school kids anymore, right? That was something that we've never really cared about. We never, we purposely haven't done very much TV stuff because... We, just, we really just want to play music and let the music do the talking, really, and 
all that media crap that goes on is nothing to us. We know some people read it and believe it and take it all seriously, but to us it's just a big bullshit circus. Speaking of media, the TV appearances the band made during this tour were no less awkward than they were for Frogstomp. However, far from being sullen, sometimes their dry humour just didn't translate. There are a few interviews from this time where international hosts just took everything they say at face value when they were being dryly funny. Such as in this interview where MTV's Matt Pinfield doesn't realise they're joking when Daniel and Chris say that along with hard rock, they're into psychedelic acid jazz. Our main influences from when we were about 12 years old playing in Innocent Criminals. Um, <laughs> Such Black Sabbath band. and Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Hendrix and all that kind of stuff. Because that's what our dads listened to, really. Just come home from school and they'd be playing that. And after a while, it just grows on you and we really like that. We still listen to that kind of stuff a lot. Um, as well as a lot of psychedelic funk Jazz fusion. Yeah, the acid sort of stuff, yeah, acid jazz. Yeah. It's a shame because it's one of the only times in the interview where the guys in the band's faces light up, but Pinfield missed it. I do feel bad for him, though. He's trying to get stuff out of them and they're really giving him donuts in return. I do wonder whether the John Watson anti-marketing strategy that works so well for them for promoting Frog Stomp, where they deliberately limited exposure and only granted interview requests to approved cool outlets hamstrung the band when they had to later go overseas and promote their stuff in a more traditional way. I know it was the 90s, so maybe media training was a dirty word, but you can see why sometimes the journos relied on the easy stereotype of school kids in a rock band when finding another angle was like pulling teeth. Freak Show is, to some extent, the forgotten Silverchair album. It's the most musically similar to the debut, but it opens the door, no pun intended, to the new musical horizons the band would explore in the future. And for that reason, it's also probably their most underrated. However, it also opened the door to one of the most difficult periods in the band's life, particularly for Daniel. Touring on the back of Freak Show ended up being a harrowing time that precipitated the writing of the next album, the most mature and darker work in their catalogue, Neon Ballroom. But that's for another time. Join me in a fortnight's time, that's two weeks, for those of you outside the Commonwealth, for the next episode of Too Much of Not Enough, a Silverchair podcast. This podcast is written and produced by me, Daniel Hedger. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends or your enemies if they like Silverchair. You can follow me on Instagram at Silverchair Podcast and Facebook at facebook.com slash Silverchair Podcast. All music is by Silverchair, owned by Murmur and 11 Music Publishers. I believe all music is being used with a fair use exemption for criticism as per copyright.com.au slash about copyright slash exceptions. I've also judiciously utilized YouTube for old interview clips. If you happen to be one of the owners, I will happily remove the clips from this recording. However, I suspect most of those clips no longer exist outside of YouTube. And in addition to fair use, I consider what I'm doing akin to archival work.